Rafer? Yes, Kristen? Have you seen that one movie where, like, not a lot happens, but you're supposed to, like, maybe take away a lesson about that thing, even though nothing actually did happen? Is there a, is there a point that comes right, right before the worst point, but then, there's, but then there's no actual worst point? Is that what you're talking about? <laughs> yes. And everything is actually, even if it's really, really bad, not really that bad. Well, now, what, now are, you, are you trying to say that's the case with some of the movies this week? Because I'm not sure if I agree with that. I would say it's the case with most of the movies this week. Really? Yeah, with most of them. In one case, it's like, oh, I have a perfect boyfriend. I'm perfectly talented. I'm a music prodigy. My family's <laughs> awesome. Oh, now I just have to decide, do I want to stay alive and be with them or not? I don't know. And then there's another one. That, that movie's called If I Stay. Yeah. And there's another one. You know, we're millennials. I have this awesome job as a designer. You're like a dropout from med school, but we're both really happy and good looking and we're giggling all the time and we're best friends. But gosh, can we be more? Should we? That's what if. Yes. (laughs) All right. Starring Daniel Radcliffe and Zoe Kazan. Yes. And there's this other movie where we're a winning football team and we just keep winning and winning and winning and then we lose a game, but then we keep playing football. Okay, so that's when the game stands tall, based on a true story, by the way. Mm-hmm. And then there's Sin City, which yeah. I did not see this week, but which I'm presuming nothing happens, based on the first Sin City, which I saw, when nothing happened. Well, you're completely incorrect. What? Not all, not, okay. We have some things to discuss. I think you're wrong <laughs> about this unifying theory that you've got here. Okay, all, all right. right. I'm, I'm going to be curious about what your unifying theory is for the week, or if you have any theory at all. Okay, before we get to that, let's introduce ourselves. I'm Rafer Guzman, movie critic for Newsday. And I'm Kristen Meinzer, culture producer for The Takeaway, and this is Movie Date. All right, so you've basically already given us a recap of If I Stay. The, oh, the movie gosh. with Chloe Grace Moretz. I'm so good looking and my family's so fun and perfect. We throw these great parties and we all jam together around bonfires. <laughs> my boyfriend says everything right. He's gorgeous and he's in a rock band too. Let's play a clip. I'll do whatever you want. Just please stay. You're my home, Mia. I don't care where we are. I just care that we're together. I know that now. I will do anything if you stay. Judging by your tone, Kristen, <laughs> I, I feel that you, did, that you did not care for this movie so much. I'm not going to say I didn't care for the movie. Oh, I'm, just, okay. I'm just saying, like, not a lot happens. And, yes, the one thing that happens is the family gets into a car accident. Yeah, I'm going to say that section is... shape. Uh, bad shape? Okay. <laughs> No but, spoil, no spoilers here, but I'm going to say bad shape doesn't really begin to describe it. But then the, the nurses whisper into her ear multiple times, all you have to do to get through this baby is decide. Any fight you got in you, you got to bring it out now. You can do this if you want to, if you want to stay. Well, okay. <laughs> okay, so, but this is clearly, so this, is, this is clearly aimed not, not at me. This is a movie that's aimed directly at 12-year-old girls. Yeah, we're the same age as the parents. Exactly. (laughs) That is, but I will say, you know, that's the one thing that I did kind of, in a a kind of embarrassed, sheepish way, that I did like about 
this movie, the parents, uh, Mirelle Enos plays the mom, uh, Joshua she's Leonard. She's wonderful. He's wonderful. Joshua Leonard plays the dad, and they're both a couple of 90s rocker types. Yeah, they're who, like the same circles that we run in exactly. in Brooklyn. It's like, oh, you all have tattoos, you all have black t-shirts and right. jeans. Dad used to be in a punk band with the endearing name of Nasty Bruises. <laughs> Would you ever go see him? If you saw that on a marquee, would you ever go see that band? No. Oh, look, the Nasty Bruises are playing. It's like, a, it's like that punk band in the, um, in the comic strip High and Lois. I don't know if you ever read that. Oh, my God. The, High the, and Lois. The kid has, a, the kid has a, a punk band, and the name of it is Profound Anger, <laughs> which I always loved. Which is actually a better name than Nasty That's Bruises, frankly. That's really good. Um, anyway, yeah, I mean, look. This is, you know, this is it's exactly what you're saying. Uh, Jamie Blakely, the, who plays the the rocker guy, the Adam, boyfriend, the yes. boyfriend, who um, says everything right. You, I, I, I knew it from the get go. Right? He's 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 the rocker guy. He's known at school. This is all taking place in in the Portland, Oregon area, by the way. He's the rocker guy. Everyone knows he's the school hottie. He plays in a rock band called Willamette Stone. And um, he come he overhear he's like he's like Nigel Tufnell in Spinal Tap. He overhears the classical music and his sensitive side comes out, and he hears uh, uh, Chloe Grace Moret- Moretz playing the cello, and then he goes over to her locker, strides right up to her locker, right the hot the hot guy in school strides right up to the nerdy the nerdy cellist in the school, asks her out on a date and says, "You can't hide in that rehearsal room forever. It's too late. <laughs> I see you." And I, I just thought, you. oh, my God, that guy's getting laid. That guy's I getting laid before you, this movie ends. And I will see you naked later. That's a great line. <laughs> Why didn't I use that line? Great line. He says all the things that no boy in high school would ever no, say No, would, would ever most, say. Most like 30-year-old men won't say out loud <laughs> exactly. the things that he's saying. And, and she's saying things that an awkward girl would say like, but why me? Why right. would you choose me? <laughs> just so that he can say those things back at her. Exactly. But I, I, I just don't know. I mean, I, I think maybe I need to take things slow. That's great. I, I love, love slow. slow. <laughs> <laughs> now that line I have used. All right. So I, Boom, you know, Rafer. Well, okay. So th- I, you know, I don't know what to say about this movie except that um, it all takes place in flashback, right? She's in a coma. Mm-hmm. She's, lit- she's, she's like, literally, literally a girlfriend in a coma. She, and, <laughs> she's literally deciding if I stay. If I stay. What do I get out of it? Right, exactly. If I stay. I better look back on everything that's happened over the last year and a half. If this, if this film has any genius to it, it's, it's by putting a, a ridiculous melodramatic plot twist. Oh, no, car crash. I'm in a coma at the beginning. Right. That's the genius. By putting it at the beginning, you buy it. If you put that at the end, if you just told this story in chronological order and then all of a sudden she was in a car crash and in a coma, you'd be you'd be rolling your eyes going, oh, my God, could you not have thought of any better way to end this film? (laughs) Well, I'll say a lot of people in my screening were rolling their eyes. You and I could not see this together. We had to go to separate screenings right in front of me to the left. Heckling critics. Right behind me, sobbing girls. <laughs> and then uh, in front of me to the right, hecklers who ended up sobbing by the end. Isn't this a Steeler's Wheel song? What? Jokers to the left of me. Oh, okay. yes. Clowns to the right. Yeah. Indeed. All right. But, you know, I, all this being said, I thought that any girl who's like 10 to 16, you're going to love this movie. This is yes. perfectly designed for you. You're going to cry. You're going to love this. I do think... Um, Chloe Grace Moretz is really good in the role. I think. I think the, the, my my problem with the movie is that is that she seems smarter than her character. 
Do you know what I mean? Uh, like the whole, like watching the movie, and I just think, I know that Chloe Grace Moretz has more intelligence than this character has. Um, but she's really good. I liked the parents. I sort of kind of like the scene where they all can get together in the campfire. And they jam to, and they, and they to jam Smashing to, Pumpkins. Today. <laughs> today is the greatest. You're all unplugged. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, you know, again, I can't, I can't say it was a good date, but I would say, you know, yeah, if you're, tw- if you're 12 years old and you're a girl, it's going to be a pretty good date. Oh, absolutely. Not a date for us, Rafer. Nope. It's a date for them. Nope. What If I Stay is to 12-year-old girls, Sin City is to 30-year-old men. I missed this screening. I know. Funny how that happened, yeah. Kristen. And the first one, as you know, I was very so-so on. You didn't like the first Sin City? I thought that what happened in the first Sin City is it was multiple chapters. Yep. Each chapter was kind of a standalone story. Yep. And the first, I thought, this is fantastic. The second, I thought, was good. By the third, it was just repeating itself. You were getting tired. Yeah, because it's like, even though these are s- supposedly separate storylines, it's like, oh, I have a protagonist who's physically strong, but emotionally <laughs> weak. Oh, no, I'm having heart problems. And it's just the same thing on repeat. And here's a stripper in the background. And, you know. Yeah, I know. I know. Look. I, and tell me, is this new movie the same thing? Is it just multiple chapters of the same thing? Well, this is Sin City. Uh, I think the full title is Frank Miller's Sin City, colon, A Dame to Kill For. Uh, yeah, this is a sequel. It's a bit of a, how do I want to put this? It kind of wreaks havoc with time, as far as I can tell. It seems to be a little bit some prequels. Some seem to be sequels. There are some new characters. There are some old characters played by new actors. Little confusing, I think, even if you're a fan of the original Sin City, perhaps even more so if you remember the original Sin City. Um, So you've got Joseph Gordon-Levitt is playing a young gambler who's going to take on uh, Senator Rourke, played by Powers Booth. That's one chapter. Mickey Rourke is back as Marv from the first one. The Dwight character that was played by Clive Owen is now played by Josh Brolin. Hmm. Uh, Jessica Alba is back as the stripper. Eva um, Green's in this one too, right? And the great I love Eva Green. Eva Green. Uh, boy, is she good in this. Anyway, so yeah, what you got here is film noir meets uh, Pulp Fiction meets comic books. Here's a clip. You're trespassed on hallowed ground. You're the slug that hurt my friend, huh? Shall we? This, this is directed by, by Frank Miller and Robert Rodriguez. And so these are both guys who love all that stuff, right? Film noir, pulp fiction, and comic books. Frank Miller gave us the Dark Knight comics. Robert Rodriguez gave us uh, Machete and uh, the original Grindhouse film with Tarantino. You know these guys, and this is the kind of stuff they love. You know, blood and guys in suits and sunglasses and machine guns and crossbows and all that great stuff and strippers. And, <laughs> and, it's, it's, and it's all here, and it looks great, and I love that Sin City look that no it, other film it has. It does look amazing. I will give it that. They're beautiful movies just to look at. They really are. This, this black and white photography with these kind of comic book illustration techniques that you can't get with live action. You, you, if there's two silhouettes, they're white silhouettes on a black background. I don't think there's any way to get that in a, in a live action film. And I think it looks fantastic. I, I found this film a bit of a jumble. It doesn't have the same kind of whacked out energy that the first film had. The violence is a little more played for laughs. The, the, first, the first film was funny because it was so violent. The second film is kind of 
trying to be funny with the violence, and that didn't quite work for me. It's a little more cartoony. Um, you know, if you like this stuff, you're going to go see it, and you're going to be fairly pleased just to just to have those visuals on the screen. Uh, story, theme, character, those were never the movie's strong points to begin with, and they're a little less strong here. So I would say, if you're a fan, even, I think you're going you're gonna to consider this kind of an okay date. Okay. So I don't... I don't I'm Kristen, not a I don't, fan, though. I don't think you missed much, <laughs> particularly. All right, let's move on to a millennial love story. Actually, it's a friendship story that could be love or yes. could it not be? Can you be best friends with somebody you're attracted to? What if? That's what the movie title is. And that's the big question in the movie. This stars Daniel Radcliffe and Zoe Kazan as the two friends who are figuring it all out. Here's a clip. Oh, did you guys meet? Uh, kind of. Yeah. Wallace. Hi. This is my cousin Chantry. Hi. Chantry. This is my college roommate Wallace. You're Wallace. Yep. This is the first time he's been outside in my career. Wow. Yeah, you do look pale. I just assumed you were like anemic or partially albino. It's both, actually. He's been hibernating like an adorable little bear cub because of his broken heart. Aww. Please stop telling people that and striking my face. <laughs> now, don't forget, Zoe Kazan has a boyfriend, Ben, this uh, seemingly pretty n- sort of nice guy, uh, smart, fairly successful, played by Rafe Spall, mm-hmm. um, the guy from uh, Life, uh, Life of Pi. And so that, I think, is the main obstacle here. Um, question number one has got to be, how do we like Daniel Radcliffe? Oh, I think he's so likable. You do. and, and what you, do you clearly don't. That tone in your voice says he's nothing to you. It, 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 that is kind of the problem. He's nothing to me. Um, <laughs> it, I, 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 don't, I don't dislike him. I don't have any, you know, uh, any animosity towards him. I, he doesn't irritate me uh, on screen. I, he, seems, he seems capable and he seems good. I don't get a real, a real sense of life or warmth or energy from him, even in this role where he's playing... Hugh Grant, essentially, or mm. sort of a sort of a, a two-thirds size Hugh Grant. <laughs> He's only like five three, I think. He's a little thing. That is the funny thing about this movie is that um, that Daniel Radcliffe and Zoe Kazan, and I, I just want to say uh, that I am uh, just completely in love with Zoe Kazan. Oh, I just, she's adorable. I, she's just like the definition of the word fetching. I mean, she is just ridiculously just. Uh, I just I could go on all day, but but watching the two of them on screen, I did think like you're such a cute couple because you're both the same size. <laughs> <laughs> you can trade clothes. You could wear her vintage coat. Uh, but, and they're, so they, they look cute, but they, I think what bugged me about this movie is they never say one single meaningful thing to each other. It's constant, constant bar banter. It's like whenever they're together, there's still the guy and the girl at a party just kind of trying to keep each other interested with... Sort of let me one up you on a list of things that cool should have been called instead. Right. Or here's Fluffy another enough. Right. La-da-da, la-da-da, right. La-da-da. Here's, an, here's another Elvis joke and here's something and let's here, talk you know, about sandwiches. God. And I just I kept waiting for them like, well, what is it you're actually offering each other? This guy, Ben, her boyfriend, is doesn't he seems to be a perfectly okay dude, right? He's like mm-hmm. not a lot of fun and he can't make the same kind of jokes that Wallace, uh, uh, Daniel Radcliffe's character can. Um but it's not like Daniel Radcliffe has got some insight into Zoe Kazan or has any kind of sensitivity or extra amount of kindness or intelligence that she's not getting. He could just he could just banter. He banters but, but, like, a, like a guy at a bar banters. But, Rafer, just last night you and I were having a talk with each other over cocktails, which were delicious. Yes. And you and I were saying last night the value of banter in a couple. 
Well, you have to be able to. You have to talk be able to banter, and, and, yes. if, and if you and your other half can't banter, it's not going to work long term. Yeah, but is if it? that's all you can do is just is just you know. I mean, you need more than banter. It's true. You need more than banter, if, but you if, do if, need to banter. If your entire conversation and your entire relationship is based solely on kind of pop culture riffs, then I feel like <laughs> that I that I feel like you're in trouble. And I think that's one of the problems with this movie. Is I kind of kept thinking, I, what what this movie is about is being smitten with somebody who's kind of cute and funny. But I don't think this movie is about being in love. I never got the sense that these two were in love for any reason. And after a while, they began to kind of grate on me. Mm. And I found this to be a kind of a bad date for yeah. that reason. You? Bad? Not, bad or not what? Not a great date. But yeah. I, I would say I'm, I think there are going to be a lot of millennials out there who just think this is cute and this is the way I talk with my friends. That worries me. Oh, maybe that, I, I don't need to condescend to millennials. I don't either. I don't either. But then, but then, don't make movies like this. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> that if you're if you're concerned about being condescended to, you can just point directly to this movie and say, "Thanks a lot." What if? Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> what okay. if we don't watch this movie? <laughs> exactly. What if we have a deep conversation? Because I see you. I see you, Kristen. <laughs> it's too late. <laughs> All right. Next up, we're going to talk about when the game stands tall with a special guest to help us make sense of uh, the football themes in a, in, a, in a football movie. And as you all know, Kristen and I know nothing That's about That's where football. you make goals. <laughs> That's right. That's about as far as we get. So, lastly, one of the big films of this week, When the Game Stands Tall. This is the sports film based on the true story of uh, De La Salle High School in Concord, California. Their uh, football team, the Spartans, enjoyed uh, an incredible 151-game winning streak. Unbelievable. Right. Years and years and years and years. Year between uh, 92 and 2004. It's uh, sort of the story, though, kind of of the end of the streak, not necessarily the streak itself. Uh, Jim Caviezel plays uh, coach uh, Bob Ledesur, who guided the team through that streak. Um, Michael Chiklis plays his assistant, Terry Eitzen. And then you've got a, a host of uh, kids playing the kids. Laura Dern plays uh, coach Ladd's wife. Here's a clip. Bellevue played better than us, and we lost a high school football game. That's football. But it's not you. Don't let a game define who you are. Let the way you live your lives do that. So, Kristen, since neither you nor I know that much about sports. We don't know a damn thing. <laughs> we don't know a darn thing about sports. Almost literally nothing. Um, <laughs> we have enlisted the help of Ibrahim Abdul-Mateen. Uh, he is a freelance writer on sports and culture. He has been a guest on the podcast before. Green Lantern. On, on, our, on our Green Lantern episode. <laughs> Ibrahim, welcome back. It is awesome to be here. Thanks, guys. Now, tell us, what do you think it means when the game stands tall? I think it means that there is a higher calling of sports, right? Like um, that that the game is bigger than just your idea of uh, sort of the game in and of itself helps to define who you are. And so you 
rise to your best self in that process by being part of that. I think that that's – I mean, in high school sports, this is what it is. This is really a story about high school sports. So anyone out there that's looking for a good story about sports, which you rarely find, a positive story, this is one of the best stories about a winning culture that had to overcome adversity. And it just shows you the best of that particular – of that moment. There, there, are, there are some scenes in there that I, that I, I did like. Uh, uh, Coach Ladd, as everyone calls him, uh, talks a lot about um, not so much uh, winning or playing a perfect game. He talks about perfect commitment, uh, perfect effort is, are his words. And uh, that kind of resonated with me as a, as a, 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 a non-athlete myself. I, I like that idea of, of the perfect effort and that being the goal. And I liked the... Um, Commitment cards that the, that the kids would share, you know, some guy and also, you know, the commitment cards were impossible. It was, you know, I'll do an extra 250 push-ups at the end <laughs> I'm of I'm going to drag my... this tire around the field for eight hours. <laughs> like, an extra 250? Um, and, uh, but they would share these commitment cards and, and they would commit to each other. I think one guy would give another guy his commitment card and say, I'm, I'm, I'm not pledging this to the coach. I'm pledging this to you. There's something kind of... Uh, kind of foxhole and, and sort of war mentality about that almost. Well, it does have a, a, a commentary on masculinity and on sort of where we are as a people. What you have is like, to your point, the, the scene when they all sort of, they've gotten, they've lost two games in a row. It seems like it's, there's no place where, for them to go. They've, they've hit rock bottom. They've had all these tragedies. So it begins with all this tragedy that personally for me, I was like, oh, another one of these movies. Right. You know, like, are we really going to go into this? But then it starts to upswing. And the meeting that they have, the group meeting, really is like, if you're going to bring your kid into a, a sporting environment, watch this movie so you can see the type of environment that you want to let your kid go in, particularly in this culture that we live in today. It reminded me a lot of either a prayer meeting or an AA meeting, actually, when they were together. <laughs> and they were giving personal thoughts and confessions about things that were completely off the field. They weren't even talking about sports a lot of the time when they were together in that room talking with each other. They'd talk about their grandparents or struggles at home and so on. Is that something that you and your experience, because you're a former athlete yourself, that you experienced? For me personally, what really resonated was that Coach Lattiser and this, how he's depicted in this movie really made me think about my coach, my high school football coach, Coach Jack Berger, who was an incredible coach. We had this massive um, – we, we made it to the state semis in New York State my, my junior year. We lost. And at the very end of the game, everyone's crying and tears are bawling and everything we've all put out on the field. And Coach Berger said, when you have real tra trials and tribulations in your life later on, this is going to seem trivial. Put this game in context with real life, but this is going to prepare you for real life. And it, I think it really resonates with what, they, what Coach Lattiser, his focus is on preparing dependable men, people that can be yeah. dependable in the community. That, to me, was really what stuck in my heart because it seemed as though the people that they were depicting were going to be good people in the community. What was your high school? Troy High School in upstate New York. All right. Yeah. Shout out. Um, when you are a, a, a football player in high school, really the most, the most masculine thing that one can be, I think, uh, you, do, you cry after games. There's a, there's, a, there's a scene of these guys in the, in the locker room really just openly weeping after losing a game. And that, that is something I don't think I'd ever seen on screen. Is that, but, that's, but you're saying that's real. Which, this is one of the beautiful things about sports in our culture. It gives people a space to actually express deep emotion. Now, I wish we could take that to other places in our lives. 
But it is one of those places where a young boy and a young man can feel something deeply and acknowledge other boys and other men and hug them and acknowledge them as human beings. I'm going to raise an objection because in this film, in this film, the villains in this film are are the team at Long Beach Polytechnic High School. And they and these are the guys that uh, Conquer de la Salle. They have to uh, they have to basically overcome these guys. Now, now, Long Beach Poly is a nationally recognized school for football, big feeder team. I think they've sent more guys to the pros than any other high school by this point, at least. I don't know about back then. Um, I just sort of objected to I just felt a couple things. One is. How come the school – Long Beach Poly is an inner city school. How, how do those guys get to be the villains? How, how come those guys are all of a sudden the big shots? And two, isn't this game that we're seeing on screen, it takes place after the streak has ended. This is the redemption game. But I'm pretty sure in real life that game, De La Salle was still winning. They were still, they were still on the streak at that point. So to me, I felt like they really distorted the whole meaning of that game. And also, I just want to say, full disclosure, I am a third generation <laughs> Long Beach Poly grad. So that could explain why I'm so miffed. But this, this is my take on, on that. It was a little unnerving that you had this sort of stark difference. What I do think is what they did not uh, um, quite well is that they depicted the sort of differences in coaching styles of the two coaches. Yes, yes. Right? Mm-hmm. And so I think and then, toward, and then, but even still, even though they vilified your alma mater, yes, they at the same time they gave a little bit of humanity to that coach when he started to realize, wow, this is not going to happen. And what it does accentuate is that football is about the little guy. No matter how big the big guy can get, when he's brought down to be the little guy, football, that's why Americans love football. Because the little guy can figure out some way. And in that scene, in that game, the literally the guy who had never played in the game yes, before Arturo. Got, yes. gets out on the field. And that, to me, is my favorite part of the movie. It, it really it makes you think of Rudy. It brings up all that sort of the small guy going in. I'm getting goosebumps right now thinking about it. <laughs> I'm going to say... I wish I liked this movie better. I I, the, I think the, my main objection is Jim Caviezel as Coach Ladd. I felt like he was such a downer, bummer character in this movie. I felt I felt like he's the guy who who played Christ in the Passion of the Christ, and I felt mm-hmm. like he was basically reprising the role. He's so he's agonized, he's unhappy. Anytime he sees anybody celebrating, you know, he throws them this hard look. It's like when when the when the fans gather around to say the streak, the streak, the streak, and and you know get all happy about the win. He it's like he treats them like the moneylenders at the temple. You know, <laughs> he's like he's all he's 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 he never cracks a smile through the whole movie. And I felt like there were all these. I agree with you, Ibrahim. There are all these really great messages in the film, but they're delivered – to me, they were delivered in such a such a stern, lecturing, kind of finger-wagging way that I, I couldn't enjoy the movie. Kristen, what, what did you think? I didn't really know what to hang my hat on in this movie, and part of it might be that I don't fully understand sports. And, uh, <laughs> that might be it, but I, w- but I just I, – I really didn't know what to quite attach myself to because it's like, oh, we have a winning streak. It's ending and now we're just going to keep playing football. Hmm. And that's kind of how it felt to me. Where I'm like, you're still playing football. Is there a plot in here? Oh, we're still playing football. So Get I, it? We're playing football. So I say not so great date. You say not so great date. I'm saying not so great date, even though I can really admire everything that Ibrahim's talking if about. If you are taking out a former high school football player, it's a great date. 
<laughs> so so you're you're gonna so you're gonna save this one for home video when uh, when your two boys are uh, ath- athletic age, or I'll save it for showing it to um, my wife or other people that are thinking what ki- you know how do I judge the kind of coach that my I'm sending my son or daughter into the environment that they're being sent into what's the right type of environment to create dependable reliable healthy young people. Because um, I'll, I'll tell you frankly, when I take my little son to soccer practice or to go to these other things, uh, yes. it's just like, ugh. I don't, <laughs> like, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. First of all, the parents are crazy, yes. right? But the coaches, you're like, I don't know if this is the right environment <laughs> for my kid that I'm going to send him into this space. So a wholehearted endorsement uh, from Ibrahim. That's Ibrahim Abdul-Mateen. He's a freelance writer on sports and culture and uh, our returning guest to the podcast. Thanks a lot, Ibrahim. Thanks for having me. All right, Rafer, let's wrap up as we do every week with everyone's favorite part of the podcast, trivia. All right. Uh, last week, we'd been talking about The Giver, uh, a new young adult sci-fi movie. Loved it. You loved it. Great I date. Still have Great not seen date. it. Great date. You I, need to see it. I know. I know. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm falling down on the job there. Uh, but that movie has Jeff Bridges, uh, who sings, as we all know, and plays guitar as a musical guy and has been for a long time. Uh we asked you to name this movie that stars Jeff Bridges as a musician. Here's the clip. Another season, another reason for making Whoopi. And we got this correct answer. Hi, this is Julie from Portland, Oregon, and I'm calling to answer the trivia question. I love your uh, show. I look forward to listening to it every week. And this time I knew the answer before you even played the music. Of course, it is The Fabulous Baker Boys from 1989, a movie which starred Jeff Bridges and his brother as brothers in the movie and also proved that if she had wanted to, Michelle Pfeiffer could have been a a professional singer. One of my go-to favorite movies when I'm kind of feeling down and want to pick me up. Keep up all the good work. Bye. Great job representing Portland. Great job, Julie. Yep. Way to go. And for this week's trivia question, in honor of sports and sports movies, we see a lot of these kinds of movies with male casts. We see a few here and there with female casts. A few. And every once in a blue moon, we see co-ed sports movies. Aha. Here's a clip of one of those co-ed sports movies. Allow me the pleasure of introducing you to Blade. Laser. Blazer. I believe you've met my fitness consigliere, Michelle. We've met. Oh, and I almost forgot our last player. Meet Fran Stalinaskovich Davidovitsky. If you know what movie that is with co-ed sports in it, give us a call at 5717movies. We will randomly select one right answer. Or you can visit us at facebook.com slash moviedatepodcast.